Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. That's Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode uh, or watching on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel now uh, where you can watch me talk to myself in the studio. It's so bizarre. Uh, but first, some business. I am touring again, just, you know, dipping my toe into some water um, starting um, September 22nd and 23rd at St. Louis at Helium Comedy Club. And then October 3rd at Zany's in Nashville. October 4th, the Comedy Zone in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and also the 8th of October, we, are, we moved our Irvine date to do your mom's house live in Irvine. It is now moved to October 8th. So if you had tickets to the July 9th show, those will be good for October 8th. And there you go. And then in August, we are in West Palm Beach, too, during doing your mom's house. Lately. I believe on the 23rd of August. It's coming up very shortly. All my dates are at uh, thousandranch.com. You can check that out there. What else? I think that's it. Hey, do you shop on Amazon? Please do your shopping using my banner. Go to thatsdeeprowpodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post, do your shopping as you normally would. Just kicks back some change to the show. Thank you. Okay. Okay, let's get into it. I've been listening to the Kinks an awful lot. I really like them. Under premium oh, at the Driver's Choice event. What's now, this? Zero financing plus no payments for ninety days. And all the <laughs> where, where did this come from? Oh, that is terrible. Okay. Bro, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for watching on YouTube. The Breeders, man, I'm seeing them in concert. I'm so excited. Uh, in November, they're going to play here in Los Angeles at the El Rey. And you know, for everybody who's like a Gen X, or I'm sure that's the only people that are going to be seeing the Breeders are 40 year olds uh, plus aging hipsters. 
I don't, I don't even, have I even seen them? I don't know. I, whatever. I'm very excited to see them. And uh, that's like, I never see concerts. I hate concerts. I hate uh, being out with the public. I hate having nowhere to urinate. I hate having to stand during shows, which I'm going to have to do. But it's worth it for Kim Deal. Kim Deal's the only person I would stand uh, to see. So very exciting. Very exciting. Um, so yeah, I've had a very big week, a very busy week. And I unfortunately, I'm not, I can't talk about it yet. But uh, very soon, I think I'll have a big announcement to make, and I'm very excited. Um, so it's been a whirlwind week for me, and I'll get into the details hopefully later, I mean, in a future date. But uh, very exciting stuff happening in the Segura house. Um, but uh, it got me to thinking a lot. I've been thinking a lot about Bukowski. Um, oh, because I got into this great show. I'm sure it's late. It's already done and they probably won't make a second season. It's on Showtime. It's called Happy Ish. And I wasn't initially attracted to the, the, the show because it's like a family running away from a nuclear explosion and, and it looked a little too, too depressing for me. Um, and I just decided randomly to click on it and it is the funniest show. I, I don't laugh at comedies on television. I have a very hard time. I imagine it's like when you're a doctor and, uh, and you watch, uh, that's like the last thing you want to watch, right? When you come home from treating people is to watch like a medical show. So I really hate comedies, but this show, if you like that's deep bro and you like kind of existential, uh, darker, smarter stuff. Happy-ish is a great show. It's about a middle-aged couple and their child. And um, and the dude is kind of having a midlife crisis. He's uh, 46 or something years old, and he's an ad executive. And his ad agency agency has been taken over by, you know, these douchebag um, Swiss or Swedish or whatever um, millennial kids who are like... <gasps> We don't believe in advertising. We believe in the big ideas. All you need is a big idea. And they're super annoying and they're all in their, you know, on their iPhones 24-7 and just talking nonsense. And uh, so this this couple is just trying to navigate the waters of a crazy world. And they're, you know, there's there's smart people just trying to raise a kid that's not a douchebag. And yet they're having problems because other people's kids are douchebags and other people are acting, you know, this way or that way. And her mom is crazy too. And I love that because her, her mom is like a Holocaust survivor and <clears throat> she has a strained relationship with her. And, and it's all about kind of, you know, creating your own life after, you know, creating a life that's for you and, and cre- keeping a bubble is how they say it on the show. And I just, it's so funny. And every, and every episode stars different people like Bukowski or God or Hitler or Satan or something like that. Like they don't, they give credits to like those people, which is really funny to me. So it got me thinking a lot about Bukowski because I've been revisiting that book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, A friend of mine sent me a talk about this girl that um, she talks about not giving a fuck to. And well, you know, it led me down the rabbit hole again of Mark Manson. And I just love that book. So if you are looking for ways to chill out, to not be so anxious, to not be so caught up in, in life's drama and actually enjoy your life, I highly recommend The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, <clears throat> and also, it's you know, uh, I think a lot of people get miserable because your priorities and your values are in the wrong place. And that book uses the great example of Pete Best, who originally was the drummer, I believe, for the Beatles. And through a colossal, um, a colossal, I guess, sequence of bad events or just just fucking bad luck, he gets kicked out of the Beatles because apparently he's really good looking and all the managers are like, you should be the lead singer, (laughs) which I'm sure the other guys loved hearing. And he got kicked out of the Beatles and um, and you, and, and was suicidal for a couple decades and ended up, you know, suing the Beatles for slander and this and that. Um, but the irony is, is, uh, later Pete Best goes, well, getting kicked out of the Beatles was the best thing that ever happened to me because yeah, I was miserable for a couple of decades trying to recapture the glory that I could have had being a Beatle, 
But I also still got to be a musician. I got to play music. And if I hadn't gotten kicked out of the Beatles, I wouldn't have met my wonderful wife and I wouldn't have my two children who I, you know, love and they're the center of my world. And so he found different values and in those values, meaningful values, he found real happiness and, uh, and also happiness in and of itself is kind of a BS quest. That's also the point of this book, like pursuing joy or pursuing happiness isn't necessarily the way to go. Like I remember when we did Greek philosophy in school and the, the big thing was what's the highest virtue? Is it happiness? Is happiness the, be- the highest virtue? What's the highest good man can achieve? That's, that's always the thing the Greeks were obsessed about, right? The, the highest good. What's the highest good? And, uh, you know, pursuing pleasure, pursuing joy, pursuing happiness, which is what I think the American dream is kind of about. Um, it's ultimately short-sighted and, and really, really empty because, right, you get the stuff, you get the, you get everything you want and then it's just, you know, wow, is that all there is? And so you kind of have to put your values somewhere else. But that's not to say that you shouldn't enjoy the material things that come your way. It's ridiculous. I, I, I love money. I always talk about the, uh, the non poo pooing of money. I don't understand why, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, it doesn't rich people are not evil necessarily. Uh, poor people suck too. Everybody sucks, uh, regardless of, social class. I almost said irregardless because we, we say it that way on your mom's house as a joke. We say a lot of words incorrectly on your mom's house. And then I find myself fighting the, that way of saying it. Like we say stanima on that show instead of stamina and it's permanently become stanima in my brain now. So good job. So it got me to thinking about Bukowski. I love Charles Bukowski. He's an LA native like myself. Um, was, uh, savagely beaten by his father, abused, uh, you know, horrible, wretched childhood, had scarring acne as a teenager, so his face was all marked up, and uh, became a postal worker here in Los Angeles, in Los Feliz, actually, um, in, the, in East Hollywood here, a neighborhood I used to live in many years ago. And I I really love Bukowski, uh, and if, you're, if you haven't read Post Office, I think that's I personally, I love it so much because it's so funny and it's so honest and it's so real. And um, so anyways, on Bukowski's tombstone is written, don't try. That is on this dude's tombstone. How rad is that? It's just, I believe it's uh, boxers fighting, right? Like it says, it's like two boxers fighting and then it says, don't try. And I just, I, I, my brain floated to that recently. Um, cause I was like, what does that mean exactly? And I, and I've discussed don't try in context of the Mark Manson book, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Um, and Mark Manson applies it to the backwards law, which is, I think what Alan Watts has talked about too. The idea of not giving a fuck actually helps you get what you want. It's the, the backwards law, the less you care, the more likely you are to succeed at what you're doing. And why is that? Why is that? Why is it the less we uh, care, the, the better stuff is? And I think there's a few reasons. I think number one, um, if you're not focused on what's not happening in your life, you tend to, f- you, you, you know, you're not looking at it so much, right? So let's say you're always focusing on what you don't have. It's not happened. It's not happened yet. It hasn't happened. This isn't, this isn't working. This isn't working. And you're constantly focused on that side of the equation, then you're going to, you know how they say what you focus on grows. And I, I really do believe that. Um, so if you're, if you're not thinking so much about what you're, what you don't have, you tend to be lighter. You move through earth, you move through the cosmos in a lighter sort of frequency. And when you're lighter and you're less attached, things gravitate towards you. There's space for things to come to you. And Marianne Williamson, I, I love Marianne Williamson, but she gives this great talk. It's on iTunes. You can download it for like 10 bucks. Uh, the talk is called Out of the Blue. And she talks about this phenomenon of uh, making it happen, making things happen versus letting things happen. And um, making things happen is misery. It's I've tried it. I did it for a long time. I made comedy things happen. I made it happen. Uh, and the only thing when you're making things happen, 
the only thing that happens when you're making things happen is more suffering because you're focused on what isn't, what isn't, why isn't it happening? Why I want to make it happen. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to force it. Sheer force of will is going to get me what I want. And sometimes that's true. And I've seen people, um, really work that principle and like kill it that way. Now, the problem with making it happen, as I've seen a lot in show business, uh, and if you follow people's Instagram account, (laughs) which I always believe is a window into your emotional problems, uh, you will see that making things happen in your life is not wise. Why? Because when you force the variables, when you force the cosmos, when you force shit to align, you're not, you're not allowing the natural things to fall in place and it'll get to you, but you'll either fuck it up. You'll sabotage it on your own because you're not ready for it because you've made things happen. You've forced your will and you've done it. Um, so you'll find a way to sabotage yourself. Usually is what, this is what Marianne Williamson says, by the way, I'm not making this up. This is her stuff. And, uh, or if you don't sabotage it, you will find a way to fuck things up. And that is really true. Now, I can hear you young people like listening going, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I shouldn't hustle? Does that mean I shouldn't try? Does this mean I, I shouldn't, um, you know, wake up every morning and, and do my Tony Robbins jumping in the air with enthusiasm and brave it? No, you should. But also, like, I think it's, I think, I mean, look, I'm only saying this shit because I'm, I'm figuring it out myself as an adult is, uh, is to to remain Zen about shit, right? That's the big goal, um, to care and to not care at the same time. Like, uh, I've, at least I found in performing in stand-up comedy that that is kind of the essence of a good comedian, of a comedian that is fooling the audience into thinking that it's really, really easy to do what they do. And the, the secret to any great performance, uh, dancing, comedy, acting, I think, is to care and to not care. The ability to be effortless while putting forth effort. And that sounds ridiculously ridiculous. I know it's like, uh, it's like, uh, it's like driving, you know, eventually when you practice something enough, it's like muscle memory, you know, and you can rely on your skills. You can kind of rest into the skills that you have and then you can let things flow through you, right? That's the benefit of experience, of practice. Oh, let's talk about some practice. Anybody tell you I love this that clip. I miss practice? practice. If, if, if a coach say I miss practice mm-hmm. and y'all hear it, then that's that. That's practice right there. I mean, I might have missed one practice this year. Practice. But if, practice. if somebody say he doesn't come to practice. It can be one practice. I love Alan Iverson. Out of all the practices this year. I'm talking about practice. That's enough. That's enough. If I can't practice, I can't I practice. Can't practice. Man, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I'm practice. I mean, simple as that. I it ain't this. about that. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not about that What's at that all. Now? You know what I'm saying? I mean, but it's, 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 it's easy to, to, to talk about. It's easy to sum yeah. it up. Let's talk, talk about practice. Talk we about sitting practice. here. I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about, about practice. practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not, not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about practice. practice. So we're talking about practice. Uh, it got me thinking about Allen Iverson this week. Practice and Bukowski, don't try. And those two ideas are really interlaced when you think about it because... When you practice, you practice your art, you practice your skill, uh, then you don't have to try so hard. You can just do. So if you, I mean, Yoda, look at Yoda. There is no trying, only doing, right? So this got me thinking about my beloved Bukowski. Um, God, I just, I read this and, uh, okay, so I'll I'll just read what, what don't try means to him. Okay, in a letter written in 1963, Bukowski replied to someone who once asked him, what do you do? How do you, how do you write, create? He says, you don't try. That's very important not to try, either for Cadillac's creation or immortality. You wait, and if nothing happens, you wait some more. It's like a bug high on the wall. You wait for it to come to you. When it gets close enough, you reach out, slap out, and kill it. Or if you look 
Wait, or if you like its looks, you make a pet out of it. So that's really, uh, I think it's so fucking cool, man. Here's another, here's another um, part of that letter. Oh, no, this is a 1990. Bukowski sent a letter to his friend, William Packard, to remind him. We work too hard. We try too hard. Don't try. Don't work. It's there. It's been looking right at us, aching to kick out of the closed womb. There's been too much direction. It's all free. We needn't be told. Classes? Classes are for asses. Writing a poem is as easy as beating your meat or drinking a bottle of beer. Well, easy for you to say. <laughs> easy for you to say, Bukowski, right? Uh, so here's another take. Lind, his wife, Linda Bukowski, has another take on Don't Try from a 2005 interview. Uh, it says, yeah, I get so many different ideas from people that don't understand what that means. Well, don't try. Just be a slacker. Lay back. I say no. Don't try. Do. Because if you're spending your time trying something, you're not doing it. So I do think that that's what I don't try. The essence of it is it's, it's, if you're spending time trying something, you're not actually doing it. You're not actually in your practice, your Allen Iverson practice. Um, so the, the efforting, the trying, the willing, the forcing I have found in my life personally, it's just never works. And the only, and this, for some reason right now, like I said, I was waiting for this decision and it looks great. And I will tell you guys in due time, but the, uh, the waiting is the killer part about trying to achieve anything in life and, and waiting and waiting and the patience involved. And my mother, um, she was always telling me how impatient I was as a child. You're so impatient. You're so impatient. You have to be patient. You have to be patient. And now that I have a toddler, I find myself saying the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm teaching impatience, patience, patience, because they can tolerate frustration. That's what my shrink says. You have to teach your child to tolerate frustration. Um, because tolerating frustration, uh, that's a huge part of existence of human life. And um, a lot of us are not, not equipped to tolerate frustration for many reasons. Maybe as a child you were not, um, you weren't taught that for various reasons. Or maybe if shit didn't happen right away, right away, right now, it would never would because promises were never kept, things like that. So don't try, don't try, just do. I love that so much and it's just been in my brain. And I mean, look, I, you know, and you should hustle, by the way. There is a time to hustle. I, I just made a treat for my husband right before I came in to record this. Um, back when he and I lived in the Rampart Division, uh, the year we got married, we lived in our crummy apartment um, in the Rampart. We heard gunshots daily, nightly. <laughs> it was MS-13 territory. It was crazy where we lived. And... Um, I used to spend what little money we had going to Trader Joe's because you can get a feast at Trader Joe's. If you're broke, go to Trader Joe's, get, get your treats there. And I used to get us the lovely heirloom tomatoes in the summer and some nice mozzarella cheese and some prosciutto and some melon. And I would make us a feast in our shitty apartment. And um, Tom was just eating. I just made him that exact treat just now. We're sitting because it's, you know, it's a lovely July afternoon and he's eating it and he goes, God, this reminds me so much of when we were living um, in the Rampart. And he's like, man, this treat will make you forget your problems, won't it? <laughs> and I go, I guess that was the idea back then, wasn't it? To, to forget what was happening at the time. And, you know, we actually had some great times in that apartment being broke and, uh, and hustling and waking up every morning with a pit in our stomachs about what, what was going to happen that week, you know, cause it's a comic you work week to week. You don't, it's uh, it's not even month to month. It's, will I be making money this week, which is so stressful and so, and so, so, so crazy. Oh, and, um, and, and it's funny, my agent's like, well, you're, you know, you finished writing your, you just, your hour's going to come out. Now you have to have another hour. Are you, can you do it? And I was like, <laughs> are you kidding? Of course. I used to write jokes under the threat of not eating that day. And I could find a way to write jokes. I can write jokes when we have a little cash in the bank. Don't worry about it. So, uh, so let's answer some emails. You want to know why you're all fucked up? Okay. Let's see. This is interesting. You know, I like this email because it sounds like every problem every married couple has ever had. 
And there's so much to it. It sounds like a simple email, but I don't think it is. So I'm going to, I'm going to read this one. It says, Hey, Jean, first time, long time. I'm curious as to what your take on unnecessary arguments is. Okay, so here's the example. As I was leaving at four in the morning for work, my wife asked me to call her in 20 minutes to wake her up for an important meeting she has to go to. I was so foggy and out of it. I said, uh, okay, and kissed her goodbye. Of course, I get a call two hours later. She's upset I didn't call. I told her, sorry, I was tired and didn't remember. She tells me I don't care about her and only think of myself. I don't feel that's true. I just forgot. I want to tell her that she has a phone right by her bed. Why not set an alarm? Why are you depending on me if this excuse me, meeting is so important? I have a two-hour drive for work ahead of me and a lot on my mind, but I know what will, that will cause a huge fight. Should I speak up or accept that she thinks that about me? Hoping to hear back from you. Bye, Hitler. Oh, bye. Just so you know, uh, Hitler's from your mom's house. <laughs> um, okay, Jean. So this is what is known in the industry as a marital spat. I mean, who hasn't had some version of this ridiculous fight, right? Like, call me in 20 minutes and do this thing, and then the other person spaces and the other person's livid at them, right? And on the surface, it's a fight about not calling me in 20 minutes to wake me up from my important meeting that I probably should have set the alarm for in the first place, so my anger's a bit misplaced. Um, and uh, and do I have a right to feel like a schmuck? Is she right? Am I right? What's happening? I'm, I'm all fucking confused. I'm all... I'm all freaked out, man. Uh, so, okay, bro. I mean, look, uh, wouldn't it, would it have been the spouse, nice spousally thing? That's not even a word. Spousalicious thing to do, uh, to call her, uh, and wake her up as she asked for. Yeah, sure. But given the circumstances, two hour drive, four in the morning, uh, pretty crazy expectation on her end to expect you to remember to do that. It's a lot. Um, yeah, she probably should have just set her alarm. I mean, I don't know why she relied on you for that one. I, I just, I don't know. I believe in personal responsibility. So she probably should have set her damn alarm in the first place. I don't know why she's relying on you to be her alarm clock. That's a little, uh, codependent and, uh, I don't know. Is that the word for it? I just think it's a little kind of, well, honestly, a little kind of shitty to put it on you. I mean, she's a grown ass woman. You know what I'm saying? You got to get your own life, set your own damn alarm. Uh, I don't know. It sounds to me, and generally, when people are fighting over bullshit, it's because there's some other stuff going on. And maybe she feels, um, what does she say? She's that you are, why are you paying me so important? I'm a child. I told her I was tired. She tells me I don't care about her and I only think of myself. So her thinking is flawed, you know, because she, what she's doing is taking an isolated incident or this one incident and making a blanket statement. So because you forgot to do this thing for her, you're in a, you're a piece of shit and everything you do is run. Um, generally when uh, people do that, it's cause there something else is going on in the relationship. She might feel, uh, upset about something else and maybe set you up a little bit <laughs> to get into this argument with her. <laughs> Because, yeah, there's something else going on. Maybe uh, she feels unappreciated. Maybe there's some strain between the two of you, stuff like that. So I I would bring it up and be like, hey, I noticed you were super upset the other day about that. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. It really was an oversight. But is there something else going on? Do you feel like I don't care about you in general? Stuff usually like that. Usually when people feel put out by the other person, resentful, they, uh, they tend to lash out in little crappy ways like that, that ruin your day. Um, so yeah, it's not about the alarm. It's never about the, uh, apparent thing. <laughs> it's never the presenting problem, if you will, what I've learned in the relationship. It's usually some other feeling that's, that's not being addressed. So I hope that helps mommy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bring it up. Can I tell you what, what doesn't work with women is never bringing things up Trust me, we want you to talk about stuff. All women want is for men to talk about anything with them. And if you talk about your feelings with your wife, holy moly. I mean, that is like, that is so perfect and special. That's all she wants is for you to act like a chick every now and then and just talk. That's all we want. 
That's all we want. I mean, we do all the talking, just hoping that one day you'll respond and you'll share your feelings back. So if you bring your feelings to your wife and like you're sincere and you're like, this is how I feel and you tell her that, man, you might just get laid too. You know what I'm saying? Because there's no bigger turn on than guys talking about their feelings. I mean, not every guy, but your husband, very exciting. I love it. You know, I, I never get mad when Tom tells me how he feels about stuff. I'm just so grateful that he's telling me that stuff. Like, please, please fucking tell me what you're thinking because dudes are not uh, big on talking. They're just not great uh, as a whole. I'm not all of them, but you know, most of them not so great at expressing thoughts and feelings. So definitely bring it up. Uh, but tell her that you were hurt by what she said. Don't accuse the, the key to bringing shit up with women or men or whoever, I think is to be like, Hey, this is how I feel. I feel hurt. I felt sad when you said that I don't care about you. That's not the case at all. What's going on with you? Is there something else going on? Um, I'd say approach it that way. Not like, Hey man, why don't you set your own fucking alarm douchebag? Cause that, you know, that's what I'd want to say to her is why don't you fucking set your own alarm? Come on, grow up, be a grown Whatever. But there you go. The very it's a very common marital spat. And it's it's never about the spat, guys. It's never about the it's not about feeding the dogs or it's not about it's never about the dishes. It's so funny when when married couples fight, it's it never is about the dishes. It's uh, cuz I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it's never about the dishes. Uh if both of you are getting laid regularly, first of all, you're not fighting about the dishes and uh, the trash does get taken out and the dogs get fed and the baby gets bathed. If your husband's getting laid, all that shit gets done. Trust me. You gotta have sex with your husband. You gotta do it. You get, no matter how tired you are, no matter how blasted out your vagus from childbirth, you figure it out because man, I, you gotta have the intercourse. It's the, it's the fucking, it just keeps the wheels moving on the spousal truck. You know, it really does. I'm telling you, you want to get stuff done, ladies, you just, you just take care of your husband. I know it sounds really old school, but cause it fucking works, dude. It works for men. That, here's what men want. They want to get laid. Here's what women want. We want to talk about feelings. Boom. That's it. Bam. End of show. I don't even need to talk anymore. If you, men, if you tell women feelings and stuff with that, that's all we need. Just talk. Lots of words. Tell me words. And dudes, they just want their fucking peeners licked. That's all it is. You lick a guy's peener, you're golden. There you go. That's, that's some advice your mama won't tell you, but I'm going to tell you right now. You just got to lick a peener. Okay. So here we go. This is says, hi, I'm a soon 26 year old guy, core audience, right? He writes in parentheses. You, you know what, uh, writer, you would be surprised. Actually, a lot of men write into the show. A lot of millennial men write into the show. The last email was from a dude. So, uh, you know, you think it's a chick show, but it, it's surprisingly skews male and, and like young males. So, Hey, I love you guys. You know, it's, I love it. I love it. Anybody fucking listens to me ramble. Okay. I'm, I'm a soon 26 year old guy who haven't tried to get my life in quite a while. I tried to go to college last year, even though I'm older than almost everyone else there. I failed half of all my courses. So I was not allowed to continue and dropped out. I think everything went bad because of my self doubt over moving to a new town, not having any friends and just having a hard time studying things. I didn't manage to understand properly. He says, I studied coding and giving it a hundred percent. I didn't feel smart enough or dedicated enough to manage. I think I will have to go back to my old job and move back home with my parents, which feels like shit right now. And I have to wait at least until spring until I can apply to some other college, most likely an entire year. I really feel that I've fallen behind when it comes to what I want to do in life. I feel like I haven't made enough friends, traveled enough, or had the desire to get a degree in something for the last few years, which is something I think about and regret every day. Do you have any advice to give for someone who basically regrets their their early 20s and still haven't gotten a college degree? I know it won't make me complete, but it feels like I'm stuck. Thanks for putting out a great podcast. Best regards. Okay. Well, Jean, um, yeah, you regret your early 20s because you can't get this degree and you moved. It sounds like you moved somewhere and 
you lacked the confidence and you failed out because you couldn't cut the mustard right. And now you're back home with your folks and you feel like shit. Okay. It sounds like you do have a plan. You're waiting until spring until you can apply to some other college, uh, most likely an entire year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you do want this degree. Number one, what are your priorities? I think that's really important. Is it really the college degree that you want or is it to say that you have a college degree? Um, you know, cause like, it's funny cause the other day I had this epiphany. I was at the comedy store and I was looking at this billboard of this TV show and I thought, that'd be cool to have that TV show. And then I got, I was like, you know what? Actually, no, that, that particular show I wouldn't want to do. I think I just want a billboard. Yeah. I want a billboard. <laughs> How much to just put a billboard of myself up on sunset. So the point being, sometimes we want things that we think we should want and not necessarily are the things that are going to make us feel fulfilled because I will tell you that, I mean, like failure is fine. It's, it's usually, it usually tells you that you're not on the exact right path. I might try something different. I mean, apply to those colleges you want to go to while you're home and feeling like shit with your parents. But in the meantime, maybe try another avenue. Try something you secretly would never want to do in a million years. Because I think that it's a great opportunity. If you like living at home and it's, I know you say that you don't like it, but well, it feels like shit, but you don't say anything like my parents are douchebags. I hate them. Um, why not treat it as a, as a, as an unemployment leave? You ever been fired before from a job? I have 22 of them in four years before I became a comic. Uh, and in that time I used to take these unemployment vacations. Um, yeah, you get unemployment from the state of California when you get fired. And I remember being like, this is great. Like, I, I love getting fired because now I can take this time to kind of reassess and reevaluate what I want to do with my life. And I was actively looking for other work. I wasn't like a loaf or anything, but I did acknowledge that it was a period of my life with which I could kind of be a fuck up. And um, I, I invite you to take this time rather than beat yourself up, rather than focus on what we talked about, the making it happen, the forcing the will, the, the regret stuff. Um, try to focus on what you want to happen and maybe formulate goals that are realistic for you. I mean, are you financially set up to be a full-time college student? I don't know why you failed. You said it was because, uh, of, hold on, you're older than everybody else. So that's going to be hard to make friends generally because they're going to be younger and having a hard time studying things you couldn't understand properly and giving it a hundred percent. So I don't know what the very, I don't know exactly why you failed. So it might be a good idea to kind of do an autopsy on why you failed. Uh, failure in and of itself shouldn't lead to self-flagellation or uh, regrets. That's, that's a fucking waste of energy, man. Like don't even, don't you, I don't I, honestly, and I say this with all sincerity, I don't do regrets. I don't even understand the concept of regret, really, truly, uh, only because you did the best you could with the knowledge you were given at the time. So to regret that is to imply that you had all the knowledge of all the possible variables and all the possible worlds, and yet you still went ahead and made the worst possible decision. It's just not logically possible to have regrets because you didn't know everything. So you did the best you could with the information you had at the time. So regret is, a, it's, it's illogical. It's a huge waste of time and it doesn't help you go to the next step. So, uh, feel like shit. Absolutely. Go home and feel like shit and also enjoy the splendor of not having to pay rent or bills. Um, having your meals provided for you. Maybe your mom still does your laundry. That's awesome. Why not take this unemployment vacation, so to speak, or parent vacation, adult, <laughs> adult child vacation and reassess and go back and do an autopsy and, and figure out where you went wrong with college. Exactly. What was it? Was it your inability to make friends? Were there no other older students there that you could get along with? Was it the material was in fact too difficult? And if so, uh, before you go back to college, maybe take a, a local community college class or maybe get books on the internet or whatever the fuck it is to get yourself up to speed before you get into school. Because you know you can read books anytime. You don't need to be enrolled in any sort of academic institution to learn this stuff. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of schools too. You don't have to go to traditional four-year colleges. You can do uh, online college. You can do, you can just read a bunch of books. I don't know. Um, but yeah, fuck regret. 
uh, look, if you've got 20s and still haven't gotten a college degree, so what? There's so many people that never got a college degree. There's so many people in this world that are very happy, hugely successful, um, who never went to college. So maybe you're not one of these people too. And that's absolutely fine. It doesn't make you a, a failure. It doesn't make you a loser. It doesn't make you whatever. It just means it's not right for you. And that's totally, totally acceptable, especially in this era. My gosh. I mean, that the whole notion that you have to go to college to get the job, I think that's pretty much out the window now. Um, you know, I, I, I always like college. I've always advocated people go. If you have the money, if your parents want to help you do it, go. Why not? I mean, it, if your options are why not do it, then by all means do it because it's four years to read a bunch of books you'll never have the time to read again in your life, your adult life. It's four years of partying. It's four years of uh, meeting great friends and learning cool shit and you know smoking tons of cigarettes and drinking Zima and you know watching... <laughs> Uh, fucking John Waters movies and dorm rooms and like it's lunacy. It's four years of dancing naked on the beach and bonfire parties and watching your friends set their hands on fire and spitting out of windows at girls you had beef with. Like all those wonderful memories. You can't you can't have those if you're not in college, you know. But hey, sometimes you do miss the train on some stuff and that's fine. It just means you're not meant to do it. Seriously. I do believe that. Some shit you miss the train on, and that's just fine. It's not for everybody. You can't do everything in one lifetime. You can't do everything in one lifetime. And that's totally okay. That's totally okay. You know, I, I, I could have been a cheerleader or a debutante. I was neither of those things. <laughs> Maybe in, the, in my next lifetime, I'll be a debutante. Could you imagine? <laughs> what would I be in my next lifetime? You know, I definitely would be uh, more of a conformist. I do. Uh, part of me, deep down inside, uh, wishes I would enjoy like the the joys of conformity. I really do. I, that's why I love American Psycho so much. That movie is so fucking great. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie, you should watch that one. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I, I do wish I should have been more. Yeah, yeah, I should have been a cheerleader. Yeah, yeah, I should have at least tried uh, to fit in. I just was so fucking fucked up. You know. That's not going to happen. Um, oh, great. So this, this email comes in uh, from a woman named Chelsea. I wanted to share this with you because so many of you um, ask me about how to find a therapist. And this lady says uh, there's a resource that is much easier to navigate than simply Googling therapists. Psychologytoday.com is awesome. You can search your zip code, then select sliding scale or your specific insurance, your specific issues, treatment types, even religious affiliations, if that matters to you. She writes, I was able to see a therapist I I scheduled with treats, oh, that treats Christian patients. And as an ex-Jehovah's Witness, I mentally shut down weeks before the appointment. I canceled right away and found someone without religious affiliation and so far so good over after a month. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, Congratulations, mommy. So take, check it out. Psychologytoday.com apparently is another great resource for those of you looking for therapists. Yeah. Fucking awesome, bro. I like that. Okay. I don't know about reading this one. Sometimes I get like, oh, this one's like, so this here's a therapy question. This one was uh, emailed in to your mom's house. Okay. Hey, mommy, I've been really struggling with the idea of going to therapy, and I have heard Christina talk about how she's been in therapy for many years now. My question is, how do I choose the correct doctor? I live in a very large city with many options. However, how do I know which doctor will be able to properly address my issues? I'm sure it seems strange to turn to two strangers with a question like this, but I grew up in a family where the idea of therapy is considered unnecessary and weak. I've tried to talk to friends about certain issues, but I think outside help is the way to go. I have a lot of repressed family issues. I'm pretty sure I'm going through a quarter-life crisis, and I'm so terrible at expressing my thoughts and feelings. Therapy seems like a logical solution. Okay, so my primary question for Christina is, how did you choose doctors, and do you have any tips, advice for someone looking to find a person to talk to? Yeah, I do. I'd say, uh, I mean, look, I went to this place in L.A. that was recommended by a friend. I, I say, if you have somebody that you know and you're, you know, that's local, and they seem to be going to a therapist that's working for them, 
have them ask their shrink for a referral. Now, their shrink can't treat you. It's against the code of ethics of shrinkage, but they can recommend somebody and, uh, and that will be great. Referrals are fantastic. Find somebody who's gotten their life. You know, I think, I think um, there's this douchebag thing in the business world called mentorship, mentors. Um, I fucking hate that word, but I love the idea of finding get your life mentors. I have a few people that I look to in my life as like, oh, that's a good thing. Yep. I like what that person's doing here. I like how that person's doing that. Um, I like to find my people. My, my, my mentors, what a fucking douchebag word. God damn it. Uh, but people who you know well enough and know the reality of, of their lives and, and how they live and like, oh, you've got your shit together. What are you doing? How can I get some of that? So this friend of mine had her shit together and I go, well, how, who were you going? Who are you seeing? And she <clears throat> told me about this place that I found my shrink at. Um, it's an institute where they train psychotherapists. So you can get in on a sliding scale and they asked me a bunch of questions. They do like, like, you know, personality questions. What are you looking for? What are your issues? And then based on that, they pair you with somebody. So you may also want to look at local schools, universities, um, people that are getting, they're getting their hours is what they call them, their training hours. Then the last stages of becoming a therapist, an MFT, a psychoanalyst, whatever the fuck it is. And they treat patients at that level. And that's when you can get in with a a therapist who's doing their hours, their training hours, and they're supervised by experienced therapists. And that way your case is dealt with, not just by the person you see every day, but then they bring your case to their peers and then it's reviewed and da, 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 da. So you're really, really cared for. Um, So that's a one good way. And you know what? A lot of it is just a a throw of the dice, dude. Um, I would look, I look at people's websites. I found people before the one I excuse me, see now, I would look at people's websites. Um, I'm telling you, like, look at the person. Do they look fucking sane to you? Do they look like they got their life together? You know what I'm saying? Like, look at, read their, a lot of therapists have websites where they describe their methods. Um, You know, I once saw um, an existentialist therapist, believe it or not, her leaning was in existentialism. I saw an ecotherapist once. Uh, what is that? I'm not even sure. But she had two little dogs that would sit on your lap. And I thought that was just the best thing ever to have therapy with dogs. And so look them up. Google them. In addition to finding them on Psychology Today, whatever, Talkspace, blah, blah, blah. Um, research them. What do they look like? Do they look crazy to you? Don't fucking go to them. You don't want to listen. And I don't mean like looks or everything, but how you present yourself to the world is kind of important. And, and, you know, Tom and I were driving today and um, we saw this lady crossing the street, maybe 50, but she already looked like she had shut it down because she was wearing those uh, like hardcore Jesus walk sandals, you know, those like Patagonia, just hideous Denver, Colorado native sandals, strappy, very, very practical sandals and then some, um, what do they call cargo shorts that one would get at Target. Not that I'm above, I'm not, I'm not above it. I, I, I you know, I got shit from Target too. But, but the cargo shorts in in, in the um, the sand colored, and then the tank top that was also like a Target issued. Again, not above it. Just sometimes you don't want to pair Target with Target. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to mix and match your Morona with your other shit. Um, but also the, the styles, like there's feminine styles at Target that I bought. I think I bought this from Target actually. Um, but what I'm saying is, and her hair was like really short, like not lady, not, just not even a lady anymore. And you can tell by the general demeanor that like she'd shut it, just shut it the fuck down, shut down that sexuality. Like that vagina <clears throat> has sealed shut for business. Like her husband doesn't get in there ever. Like it's just... That's how you let the world know. Like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm no longer a woman, guys. No longer a woman. Mm-mm. I'm not wearing anything nice for you. She resents him. You can tell she fucking hates his guts. I'm just making this up. I don't even know. But definitely, man, uh, appearance is important. It, it just tells people how you, <clears throat> excuse me, view yourself. Um, and that's it. It's really just a luck of the draw. And you can ask to meet therapists. Hey, can we meet once? Yeah, of course. You go, you meet them, you talk. 
see if they make sense to you, if they're condescending. Do you feel like you can talk to them? Do you feel like you trust them with your secrets? You know, I've met so many. Some are just fucking whack, weird, too mean, too this, too that, whatever. It's all personality match. So, uh, but good luck, Jean. I, I hope you find somebody. It's so important. It's so important. It's so important. All right. I think that's it, guys. I got to go. Um, I got to go get my life. I got to get my fucking back work done. I tweaked my back picking up my kid. I got to go get that shit massage. Uh, that's it. Come see me do a stand up live. Thank you for downloading this episode. You can email me at that's deep bro podcast at gmail.com. Uh, email me anything you want to talk about thoughts, feelings, farts, that kind of stuff. Why do they make LaCroix in this uh, tall boy? That's the weirdest thing ever. I was wondering. I mean, it's 12 ounces. I think the regular LaCroix is 12. No. So fucking weird. Why the tall boy, LaCroix? This is one of the great mysteries of life. But goddamn, I do love these flavors. This one is melon pomelo. Cantaloupe with pink grapefruit. I mean, this shit's made in America, right? Why does it sound all fancy and foreign? I don't know. It's brilliant. Look at this. No calories, no sweetener, no sodium. Goddamn. This is it. LaCroix, this is a fancy treat for over 40. (laughs) This is a real luxury, the La Croix. <laughs> zero calorie, zero sweet, zero fun. There you go. Mm. All right, jeans. Um, enjoy your week. Uh, stay deep. And I will talk to you again next week, mommies. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with. Philosophize with. Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's deep, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.